Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Perception, which is the deepest driver in human nature, automatically influences our emotions and motivations. So when we try to change things, we typically try to change by approaching our motivations or our emotions or trying to deal with behaviors. And there's a lot of, there is some merit to doing that that way. But when we can get into the perceptions that automatically influence the motivations, change is much easier. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Before we start, I just want to share two quick things with you. If you have guest recommendations or stories that you think we should know about, shoot us an email at hello at unmistakablemedia.com. We love hearing from our listeners. And if you're looking for a keynote speaker for your event or want to bring our team at Unmistakable Creative to your event or organization for a workshop on creativity and productivity, visit unmistakablecreative.com slash speaking, send us the details, and we'll be in touch. And as always, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at HostGator. Whether you're looking to start a new website or move an existing one, HostGator can help. They have 24-7 live support via phone chat and email, an easy-to-use website builder if you're not too tech-savvy, and if you want to move from an existing host to HostGator, they make it free and super simple. So visit HostGator.com creative and use the promo code creative at checkout for 30% off. Eric, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. You know, I so I, I came across your story by way of um, your publicist Rob, who has been a consistent referral source for lots of interesting and uh, amazing guests. So when he told me about your story, it was kind of a no-brainer. So I want to start with a question that I have found has been very revealing and very interesting, and that is, what did your parents do for a living, and how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Ah, that's very good. My my mom actually did write a book quite a ways back. I remember being about 10 years old, helping her collate this book. It was more of a workbook, workshop uh, about helping women, more of an empowering women kind of a program. So I remember doing that very young. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both my parents also uh, have been realtors. So all my life, I've been around people who are uh, feasting famine, you know, kind of the feast and famine kind of approach to life and, and going out and selling. And I've always had that entrepreneurial bug. I mean, when I was, I think it was maybe 11 years old. I actually tried to sell lake snails to a Chinese restaurant. So what I was, I was up, it is just nuts. Absolutely nuts. So here I am. But you know, 11 years old, you never know. Uh-huh. You're up, I was up in a lake in Washington and there's these snails that are about an inch and a half across all over the place. I thought, well, I'm going to just collect these. These could be valuable. So I spent the day, everyone else is camping, enjoying themselves. I spent the day collecting those snails and had the audacity to ask my mom to take me to the back of this Chinese restaurant I was familiar with in my hometown and knocked on the door, said, do you need these snails? These snails, would you want to buy these snails? She's going, wrong snail, wrong snail. (laughs) She didn't buy, but it just shows you how 
uh, the entrepreneurial bent has been in me for a long time. And a lot of my life, I'm an entrepreneur now for 25 years, and it's all an expression of uh, that early that early uh, kind of tendency. Wow. Um, what was the very first job that you ever had? Oh, first job I had was actually right around that time, maybe a little earlier than that. I had a recycling route in my neighborhood, so basically went, knocked on all the doors, said, this is long before anybody ever recycled, so there's no recycling routes anywhere. And I just said, basically, hey, I'll come by on Tuesday with a wheelbarrow, and I'll take any newspaper, glass, aluminum cans, anything you got. And uh, I carted around the neighborhood with a wheelbarrow and then filled up an old shed behind our house. And then every month, I would pile everything up in a truck, take it over to the recycle center. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm getting 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something like that. Mm-hmm. But that was my first job. Mm. Wow. <laughs> what, did, what did this early sort of entrepreneurial instinct teach you about work ethic? I just have always had this fascination with how to create value. You know, whether it just I just kind of look around everywhere. And I remember there's a... There's an old book by the founder of Daewoo um, who, who he wrote a, a book called Every Street is Paved with Gold. And was really impacted by that because he's basically saying opportunities to create value is everywhere you look. There's opportunities to serve people. And I just had this bent towards, you know, seeing how uh, people could be served and how value could be created. And it was so intuitive that it was always motivating for me. I'm in a building birdhouses. I was doing recycling routes. I was doing yards. I sold things. I, I did, you know, this is, and this is early, early on, uh, you know, moved on later into other things. But it just shows you that, the, you know, the vision for creating value is the fundamental drive of an, of an entrepreneur. Everything flows from that. Motivation is, is automatic because of that vision. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that struck me uh, was that you used the words feast or famine uh, to describe <laughs> yes. the the experience that you had with your parents. And I'm curious if that is still a narrative that you carry with you today. And if not, how did you manage to change it? Because I think this is often what is at the root of many people's difficulties with money stories. Oh, yes. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, there's there's obviously there's there's certain principles that you've got to uh, deal with and address. I have had feast and famine in the past. I'm not in a feast and famine kind of mode now uh, because I'm focused on a lot of stored up padding. Like I like to keep at least a year's worth of cash uh, just to, as padding. You know, a lot of people run run their lives too thin. They don't give enough margin. And when bad things happen, as they always do, uh, they're not prepared. Uh, another thing for me was multiple streams of income. Uh, I built my first company out of right out of college I got an engineering degree at the University of Washington and went right into a business that offered design and marketing services for of all things apartment com- communities because my wife and I were actually managing apartments while I was finishing my degree we got a, we got married a year before I graduated and we were managing a couple of apartments up in Capitol Hill in Seattle area and we started to create brochures and newsletters and ways to market the properties more effectively and the property manager says, listen, I've got 140 properties in our portfolio. You guys are doing stuff that's fantastic. Would you mind doing that for these others? So grew that company up to basically take it national. Uh, grew up to about 80 employees, multi-millions in sales over seven years. And then that thing crashed catastrophically. It's an unbelievable story of just how to survive. But I went from feasting to absolute famine in about four months. 
uh, I was on unemployment, so the rest of the employees that I had downsized from 80 people down to eight uh, could stay, uh, you know, keep their jobs. And I went on unemployment myself. Uh, my brand new BMW was repossessed. I lost my house on a hill, moved into an old rental. Uh, you know, got rid of the, the, didn't have a car anymore, so I got an old van. And so I went from feast to famine in about 1998, late 1998, early 1999, and it was a nightmare. I had a young family, and from that point forward, I decided I would do two things. Number one, I would do multiple streams. I would not have all my eggs in one basket. Number two, I would put a lot of padding in place. A lot of people who are entrepreneurs expect great things to happen. That's the challenge. Optimism can get delusional because typically t things take about twice as long and they cost twice as much if they even work. So I decided, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna not, I'm not gonna put my family in that kind of position again. So as much as it isn't within my power to do, I will build the padding and pursue multiple streams. Uh, and so I was able to actually go through the 2008 uh, crisis you know, where everybody was just devastated in so many ways. I was able to go through that with abundance, without missing a beat, without losing a, a thing, because of the lessons learned 10 years earlier. So I think it's just really important to balance out that, that optimism that entrepreneurs have to have in order to be entrepreneurs with a healthy, healthy uh, sense of fear. Uh, I, I definitely believe that there's two types of fears. There's, uh, there's useful and there's useless fear. And I talk about this a lot in my book and in a lot of the blogs that I write. A lot of people think that fear is one-dimensional. All fear is bad. Look at all the motivators who make quotes about fear. <laughs> and they'll tell you things that sound good for about half the scenarios. They're really good for half. And they're horrible for the other half. If, you, if you're stepping into a high-risk situation, fear is your friend. Fear is the most powerful motivator in human nature. That reminds me of uh, Andy Grove's book, Only the Paranoid Survive. And I think there's something powerful about a healthy paranoia, a healthy sense that, hey, bad things can happen. I need to be prepared. So I've become more, uh, more of a realist over time because I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years now. Uh, but, boy, I started out with a sense that, man, I could do nothing wrong. And uh, boy, I learned about seven years in that not only can it get wrong, it can get real wrong, completely wrong for everybody in a big way. And I just learned from that. Hmm. How much of this is internal and how much of it is external? Are you talking about the motivation issue? And the mindset piece to, to manage situations like this. You know, part of me wonders, why is it that um, you, you came out of the other side of this better off? Because a lot of people wouldn't necessarily. I mean, there are people who wouldn't come out oh, of the situation well, I, better off. Me, I had, yeah, so, so many, uh, you know, you're fighting the demons, so to speak. I mean, the mindset of you failed, therefore you are a failure. You know, it's so easy to turn an event into an identity. And, you know, you have to fight that. And a lot of times people think, too, you know, they, they'll ask the questions like, man, how did you bounce back? And I remember hearing uh, uh, Dave Ramsey, who's a financial, uh, you know, his financial talk show host, and he's got a great story of, of his own financial comeback and he says you don't you don't ever bounce back you splat and then you stay there for a long time then they come scrape you off the sidewalk and then eventually you recover and it took years to recover from that that 1998 and 99 meltdown mm -hmm. years and that's the struggle you know is how much of this is mindset versus how much of it's just your 
your genetics. I think that genetics is definitely a big part of it. But I think a lot of what people point to as genetics is really patterns of, of, of thinking. Mm-hmm. If we think a certain way and we can train ourselves to think, think certain ways, we can train ourselves to do all sorts of things. I mean, we got out of diapers because we trained ourselves to do things that were unnatural. We <laughs> brush our teeth because we trained ourselves to do the things that are unnatural. So I think a lot of it is training. But I do think that some people just have a wiring that helps them get there quicker. You, know, you said something at the very beginning of that um, that really struck me, and that was this notion of turning an event into an identity. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my, my mentors has as a, a, a quote that he you know kind of drilled into my head over and over was this notion of your temporary circumstances don't have to become your permanent reality. Yes, um, and you know. The thing about turning an event into an identity is I think for so many of us, it happens so fast that we don't even realize that we're doing it. Absolutely. Uh, Because that space between stimulus and response doesn't exist, you know? And so I'm curious, how do you develop the capacity not to turn an event into an identity? Or how have you in your own life? Well, this is a segue a little bit into the book because I write basically about how our intuition works. We make snap judgments. We see things in a blink. And there's so much intellectual horsepower that's going on. The mind is so brilliant and so fast. Everyone's mind is that way. And so we'll make these quick judgments. We'll tell ourselves, and every time we look out at reality, we tell ourselves two things. One, what is happening? And number two, how good it is and basically how good or bad it is. So it's like, okay, what's happening? How good or bad is it? And when we run into an event, let's say we fail. I failed in business. The, the, it is so easy for the mind to jump, jump from the event to the identity and say, basically, you are a failure. Not that you failed. You are a failure. And I think that what's needed is for us to be able to develop our what I call our perceptual intelligence, which is to understand how we see the world and then be able to go back and dispute the views that are destructive. Without training, I don't think that happens. Today's episode of The Unmistakable Creative is sponsored by Design Crowd. Unmistakable Creative listeners have used Design Crowd for logo, web, and graphic design. Here's how it works. You go to designcrowd.com and you set up your design brief and you'll get submissions from anywhere between 60 to 100 designers from around the world. If you like the designs you get, you can then improve payment. If you don't like what you get, you can go back to the crowd and ask for more or ask for your money back. To see what other unmistakable creative listeners have designed and save 100 bucks on your first project, visit designcrowd.com creative and use the promo code creative at checkout for $100 off. Today's episode is also sponsored by our friends at HostGator. They host your website and they have 24-7 live support via phone, chat, and email. An easy to use website builder if you're not tech savvy, one-click WordPress installs, and if you want to switch from an existing host to HostGator, it's free and it's simple. And because you're an unmistakable creative listener, you're getting 30% off all of their hosting packages. So visit HostGator.com slash creative and use the promo code creative at checkout for 30% off. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, you know, when you're talking about it, I I keep thinking about, you know, habit change and how almost all my behavioral changes come about from changing really small sort of micro habits on a day-to-day basis. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree that small habit. I mean, this is the habit of thinking uh-huh. really here. And, and I would even say to go deeper, it's the habit of perception. Yeah. It's us being able to step above the flow and see how we see, so to speak, to look at the lens we normally only look through. 
It's to basically get another level of self-awareness and ask ourselves, what was just going through my mind? Uh-huh. And once we can do that, then we can start to change things. As soon as we start separating out the difference between our circumstances and the way we view our circumstances, meaning the situations and the perceptions that usually cause us to interpret situations, as soon as we start separating those two, we've found our power. Because the power is the power to see things in the most constructive ways. And we got to realize that we tend to default towards ways that aren't constructive. To say, hey, I failed at this math a problem, or let's say you're strugg- I struggle with algebra. I'm 12 years old, and here I am stuck in algebra, and I am struggling. So I tell myself I'm just not good at math, but I go beyond that. I say I'm not g- good at solving hard problems. I can't really think uh, in ways that uh, are are uh, are able to overcome these these small problems. I can't solve problems effectively. So you start to you jump from one instance into whole classes of thoughts and I explain how this inductive reasoning works in our book in my book it's it's super fast and because it's super fast it's mostly invisible the great irony is that we don't see how we see we just see and that perception automatically influences our emotions and motivations which then automatically influences behavior so I always say listen start with the perception try to get good at identifying how perception works. This is what I call perceptual intelligence. And when we can get more perceptual intelligence, actually, we can actually get more emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence is something that comes out of perceptual intelligence. It's a cool, it's a cool body of knowledge that uh, is not only it's not only fascinating, but it is hyper relevant to our everyday life. So I, I want to do a deep dive into the entire ideas uh, idea of automatic influence. But before we get there, uh, after the real estate company, I'm, I'm curious, can you walk us through sort of the trajectory of your career? And more importantly, what caused you to arrive at um, this particular area of psychology and, and development and human behavior? Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so 1998, all hell breaks loose and I lose, you know, the one job that I have or the one, one business that I have. I eventually had to downsize it from 80 people to about eight. And then it got into the hands of the wrong leader. I left it to the wrong leader. It started, of all things, I started a dot com uh, and I grew that up uh, to about a million and a half daily uh, readers which would have been a phenomenal thing. It would have been a fifty to hundred million dollar exit had it been done just about twelve months earlier, but it wasn't. <laughs> so, so I went out of that into uh, the, you know this dot com uh, that I built, and then from there, just started again to evaluate things in terms of multiple streams. I started looking at real estate, uh, and you know obviously having the entrepreneurial bug, you, you keep going. Eventually, uh, you, you have to you know get more realistic, be more uh, more discerning in how you evaluate deals and how you spend money. I think a lot of times people spend too much money too soon before they have like a concept validation. Mm-hmm. And without that concept validation, then, uh, you know, they end up uh, multiplying massively, uh, multiplying mistakes and, and problems or mis, you know, misidentifying the market. So I just started to be more careful that way and eventually got onto, got into a deal where I began to uh, source product and, and design product and develop product for big retailers. Uh, and it was just a relationship that led to a relationship that then started something uh, that really was effective. Uh, and for uh, 10 years, now about 11 years now, I've been doing um, about a million units a year uh, through a big, big retail. Um, these are 
uh, products that we design, and then we work with manufacturing partners to develop. So a couple hundred million dollars that have gone through. Uh, I've got a, uh, I've got uh, all kinds of other business projects where I'll have a minority stake in the project, but in exchange for uh, you know providing either capital or uh, good good uh, counsel uh, moving the business forward. Um, so I've got my hand in, in several things, but I will tell you that the, the thing that's the closest to my heart is this book and, and what it represents around leading change. Oh, also, I did build a consulting practice for uh, Harvard Business School professor John Cotter back in 2007 and 2008. Uh, and so I've been involved in some things here and there. But all along, I've had this absolutely obsessive fascination with how the mind works how leadership works, how we can create value in terms of leading change and 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 being effective. And so I remember, I mean, I've been studying books, all the you know, books about how things work all the way back. I mean, 11 years old, I read the book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by Shirer, just because I was curious as to about how a leader like Hitler could create that much devastation in the world. And so it was enough inspiration and curiosity to get me to open up a 1,200-page book and burn my way through it. Now, I wasn't very good at reading. In fact, to this day, a lot of people think, well, you've read you know, 700 books you know, that are big books. You've written – I've written six books so far. The first one is the only one that's been published, but there are five more behind it. How do you do it? And I said, you know, a lot of people think you've got superhuman skill. But it's not really that at all. It's, a, it's an obsessive interest that lead to persistent uh, behaviors and investments. So, for example, I get tired reading nonfiction after about 15 to 20 minutes. In fact, there's studies out that show that the mind runs out of juice and runs out of glucose after about 20 minutes of hard thinking. So there's, there's brain science to back this up, that we get tired, that we're not superhuman. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the mind is a muscle. It's like doing push-ups. You know, even the strongest of us cannot go and do 10,000 push-ups. The muscles wear out. But if we're willing to go back and go back and go back and persist, then things happen. So anyway, I've been reading like that in short spurts for a long time. Like I said, I've read about 700 fat books. And, and these are books on cognitive science. They're books on history. They're books on, on just how the world works and how things, you know, one thing leads to another. So I've got this insatiable curiosity that I've had for many years, 30 plus years now. But then back in the year 2005, I realized that as I was speaking to people and as I was doing some things that involved speaking and leading, that I was nowhere near exhausting the kind of teaching that I would like to be able to provide. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hey people, I just didn't have an outlet for it. So, you know, I prepared a talk, for instance, a 45 minute talk on a subject, and I had three, four hours worth of content. There's no way I was going to get out in that 45-minute talk. And there was no way I was going to do that 45-minute talk again. So here's what I thought. Okay, this is September 2005. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to be able to get it out talking, maybe I could start writing. And so I could just get this stuff that's in me out on paper. And I decided in September 2005 to start to time block writing, to set aside time. At that point, it was just a half an hour every morning. My strongest point is 8 o'clock in the morning. So I thought 8 o'clock to 8.30, I'm just going to start writing. And I'm going to write every day. I don't care what happens. I'm going to write every day. So I started writing every day. And a half an hour became an hour. became two within about six months. So by early 2009, or I'm sorry, about early 2006, I was writing every day, six days a week, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. So about 300 days a year. And I have kept that habit since this morning. Like this morning, I wrote from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. So that is about six to 7,000 hours of writing I've calculated so far. And it means now I have uh, six books written. I did a TED, a TED Talk on the third book I've got that's called The Code that's not yet uh, published. But it's a 752-page book with like 520 footnotes. And people ask, how in the world do you do that? Well, it's kind of like, how do you eat an elephant? Just one tiny, tiny bite at a time. 
And I even have a story in my book about how the tallest trees in the world, the giant sequoias in Sierra Nevadas, grow. They only grow a penny's thickness a day. So if you were to set out a lawn chair and look at that tree and sit there for 24 hours, you would see nothing happening at all. Because it looks like nothing's happening. But day by day, the pennies stack up and reach these towering heights. And I think that if people could just see how they can make consistent small investments into the things that they're passionate about, it's amazing where they can go with it over time because we tend to underestimate what we can do in a day mm-hmm. but we tend we, or we tend to overestimate what we can do in a day we think oh i'm going to get my yard clean i'm going to get all this <laughs> done we got this to-do list it's a mile long i'm going to get all this done and then we reach the end of the day there's only two items on the list 10 of them aren't done and we feel discouraged and quit but i think in the same way we massively underestimate what we can accomplish in a year if we simply read a few pages a day in a book write a few pages a day or write a few paragraphs a day of a book. That leads to massive results over time. You know, it's like the Great Wall of China. How was it built? One brick at a time. And I think a lot of people get discouraged because they think they should have more bricks going. The truth is, if you spend enough time, there's going to be some big things that happen out of these small incremental efforts. Uh, And that's just how I've gotten to where I've gotten. But it all does come from this insatiable curiosity. I've got an obsessive interest in how things work, which has led me to make these small investments every day for literally 30 plus years. Wow. You know, it's it's interesting because I was, I was literally just writing about exactly what you're talking about, about the difference between a Herculean effort and a consistent effort. And the fact that a Herculean effort is just not sustainable. That's why, right. you know, <laughs> you, you realize that rather quickly. And, and I think people really, truly underestimate the power of a consistent effort. Um, and it, it's something I mean, you and I share an incredibly similar writing process, like same thing, five, you know, five years, a thousand words a day. And uh, that, right. that's in a nutshell, you know, the story. Um, so I want to I want to spend the rest of our time doing a, a deep dive into the ideas from automatic influence, because really, I think in our lives, we all want to be able to communicate more effectively. We want to be able to persuade and we want to be able to change our own behavior. So, you know, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through uh, the framework of automatic influence. Yes, absolutely. You know, first thing is the the first impression of the title can seem like it's making this promise that if you simply learn what's in this book, everything's automatic for you. You'll automatically have success. You'll automatically have influence. You'll automatically get the life of your dreams. That's not what the, the, the point that it's making. The point that it's making is that perception, which is the deepest driver in human nature, automatically influences our emotions and motivations. So when we try to change things, we typically try to change by approaching our motivations or our emotions or trying to deal with behaviors. And there's a lot of, there is some merit to doing that that way. But when we can get into the perceptions that automatically influence the motivations, change is much easier. I use the quote by Thoreau. I've always been uh, attracted to and thought about this quote. He he basically is the American uh, uh, author who says that for every thousand hacking at the branches of evil, there is one striking at the root. And I think of this as more more than just an approach to dealing with evil. It's really an approach to solving problems. There's two basic approaches that Thoreau reveals. One is hacking the branches. The other is striking the roots. And what I've noticed is that branch hacking is actually 
hard work and it doesn't work very well. Think about all the branches that you have to hack at and the branches all grow back versus root striking, which is much easier and works more effectively. There's one root, you, you take one whack at it and it takes care of all the branches for good. So the question I always raise that if, is if root striking is so much easier and more effective and branch hacking is so much harder and so ineffective, why does the rows thousand to one ratio hold? Why are there a thousand people doing it the harder way for everyone doing it the easier way? And as I pondered it, I, mean, I think it took me a couple of years to get this because I'm maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed, but it will tell you that one day it dawned on me the reason why so few are striking roots and so many are hacking branches despite, despite the fact that it's so much easier to strike the roots is that roots are invisible. So identifying the root of the problem is actually a bigger problem than solving the problem itself. For every root level problem we have, there's the bigger problem of identifying where the root is because the roots are invisible. So I felt like as I was studying, as I was researching how cognitive science works and how the mind works, I came across this approach that basically said the root of human nature is perception. It's based on what's called the appraisal theory of emotion. It's the idea that if we're going to have an emotion, which I equate, emotions and motivations are almost exactly the same thing. But if we're going to have an emotion, it says it's always preceded by an appraisal. It's a super fast, intuitive appraisal, but it's always there. It's us saying basically, this is what's happening, and this is how good or bad it is. Then that sparks the emotion and the motivation. So if people can't see how they're seeing things. If they can't see how that appraisal works, there's no way to strike the root. But once they can identify the root, meaning that they can see how we appraise things and start to switch their appraisals, it's unbelievable how much more effective they can be in leading themselves and leading others. So the book is basically showing how all that works mm. in every aspect of our lives and of our leadership. This episode of The Unmistakable Creative is brought to you by 2020, where creatives go to get inspiring, authentic stock photos. If you're tired of scrolling through uninspiring staged images, check out 2020. Their images are crowdsourced from real-world photographers, and you can choose from millions of high-quality photos available under a simple, royalty-free license. And today, 2020 is offering Unmistakable Creative listeners a free trial of five photos so you can see for yourself. To start your trial, go to 2020.com slash unmistakable. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash unmistakable to get Get your first five photos for free. So I, I want to do something that might be a bit weird and unusual. Um, I'd like to look at it through the lens of something practical. So let's say that I have an issue that I want to work out with you on air. Do you think you could help me do that? Yeah, sure. Let's try okay. it. So I know one thing that uh, I have a bad tendency of is a tendency to compare myself to other people. Mm -hmm. um, even when I've accomplished something, like I'm always, you know, like my sister is, you know, really accomplished, you know, tons of degrees and all this stuff. And I know that there are moments when I don't feel nearly as accomplished specifically when I compare myself to her. So I am curious how you would help me work this out using this framework. Yeah, that's very good. You know, the comparisons, the, un, the unspoken assumption in the comparison is what I call an anchor point, a reference point. So that is compared to my sister, man, I'm a loser. Or compared to that person, I am, you know, inferior. 
So I always go back and say, okay, okay, what's the reference point you're starting with? So let me give you an example of how this anchor point or reference point might work. Let's say you and I are moving into a $300,000 house, okay? We're moving our families into a $300,000 house, but we're moving from a trailer. Compared to the trailer, this place is a mansion, right? Mm. So there's a comparison going there, but it's a comparison against a reference point, the trailer. But let's say... We can switch the scenario and say, okay, we're moving out of the richest neighborhood that we have in our town into this $300,000 home. Compared to the mansion I lived in, this place is a dump. It's the exact same $300,000 house, but the reference point sets the way we view it. So we have a starting point in the way we compare. And a lot of times people say comparison is bad. I say, well, some comparison is bad. Right. But if you compare yourself with people who are worse off than you, you can actually feel grateful. Or if you compare yourself with people who don't have the same kind of intellectual endowments, then you can feel grateful. Now, another thing I'll say about this issue with sister or whatever is that a lot of times people think they buy into this myth of pure genius. They buy into the talent myth and they basically feel they somehow get this idea that talent and intelligence are innate traits. The truth is the opposite of that. The more people study geniuses, the more they realize that it's just like Edison said, it's 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. The reason people have greater talent or greater intelligence has everything to do with the amount of investment they make into developing those talents. A good example was Gary Kasparov, chess champion of the, I think it was 1980s. You know, he's beating supercomputers super and, and he's just, uh, you know, he's brilliant. He seems to be 10 moves ahead of everybody. And then they go out and they measure his intelligence and it turns out he has got average intelligence. The difference between Kasparov and all of us who have average intelligence is that Kasparov has spent 10 years four hours plus per day working through playing chess to the point where he's so good at pattern recognition that he can see any configuration on the chessboard and intuitively, instinctively know what move is next. Not because he's 10 steps ahead of anybody, but he just knows the patterns. So it's an astounding correlation between the amount of time we spend investing into our talent and our intelligence and the actual talent intelligence we have. So I I say, okay, this is the perception of self as having innate traits as opposed to the self as having developed traits. So I would go back to my sister and go, well, she's obsessively interested in things that I'm not as interested in. She likes academic stuff, book work. I'm not really that interested in that. I want to go the more intuitive street smarts way. And the truth is, most of the people who are entrepreneurs didn't get that good at grades in school, and they actually hire the people that have the good grades. So the people with the PhD, the guy, the master's degrees and the PhDs are usually the ones that work for the people with the street smarts and a little different type of intelligence because they invest in different ways. So maybe that's a long answer to this sure. little thought experiment, but I'm basically saying that the way we see ourselves, the way we see our reference points – has an immediate and automatic influence on whether we feel condemned by comparison or if we feel grateful by comparison or if we feel inspired to work by comparison or if we feel like we're helpless by comparison. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, I'd like to look at another example and particularly uh, social interactions between people and how this entire model of automatic influence applies in that context. Like okay. let's say I'm sitting down, you know, having a conversation with somebody at a bar, like what is the impact of this? And, and I think more importantly, um, 
you mentioned Gary Kasparov's ability to recognize patterns, and I'm wondering if that same thing can be applied to human behavior and human social oh, yes. interaction, and how do you do it? Yeah, I think people who are extremely socially intelligent certainly have, you know, and, and I don't want to discount these innate traits because I think there, is, there are uh, some, but they're certainly not defining. They're not the things that really make people great in these areas. It's more the obsessive interest that leads to the persistent effort and the consistent investments that eventually build up these skills. So I'd say social skills are a perfect example of this. These are people who are aware of how other people perceive things. They're they're trying to understand people's point of view. They're aware that they're having an emotional situation and what that emotion is. They're aware of their own emotions as well. So I think that, you know, one of the things that uh, we teach in perceptual intelligence is for us always to remember that our point of view is not only one point of view among many, uh, but it is rarely the other person's point of view. We often assume that when we look out at the world, the way we see is the one true view, meaning that we see everything there is to see, and it's the only viewpoint that really is relevant that matters. So we have this deep need to help other people see our point of view, as opposed to an approach that says, basically, I've got one small point of view. It's like one puzzle piece in a much grander mosaic, and I really see a lot less than I think I see, which makes me very curious about how, the, how other people see. So in a conversation at a bar, I could hear someone else describe a position that is actually completely the opposite of mine. And I would stay fascinated and curious. Instead of trying to debate them, I would actually be fascinated and curious because I'm trying to understand why they see the way they see. And what's it like to look behind their eyes? And that's not to validate what they do. If they, I mean, you can be, we can see things partially and see things wrong for sure. I mean, if you say the sun is green, I'm going to let you know, you know, that that's that's just not necessarily an accurate perspective. <laughs> the sun is yellow. The ball is blue. Don't try to tell me it's red. But there are other situations where I've got I've got my angle on reality that's different from yours. Let's say, for instance, I, I look out my window and I see Mount Rainier. I'm up in the Pacific Northwest. At sunrise, that mountain is shadowy. It's a silhouette. But if you're over in eastern Washington in a place like Yakima, at sunrise, that mountain is fully lit up. So what is it? Is it shadowy or is it fully lit up? Well, it depends on the point of view. Both point of views are simultaneously right because we're both looking at two different sides of the mountain. And I think there's so many ways in social settings where people are thinking that there's a right and wrong kind of discussion when really it's two maybe accurate and partial angles on some truth. So I always see perception itself as extremely partial and subject to error. And therefore, I am much more engaging and much more interested in what other people think and how they see things. Mm, wow. I'm curious, what have you seen uh as results that people have generated as a byproduct of understanding this framework and this, be this behavioral model in their lives? Well, think about how to keep that persistent motivation, which mm -hmm. leads to that development, you know, long term. We talked about writing books and we yeah. talked about reading. We talked about developing ourselves. Maybe it's getting an education. How do we keep the fire stoked? The only way I know to keep the fire stoked truly is to manage perceptions meaning that I'm going to see things a certain way. I'm going to keep myself focused on the long-term outcome. Let's say it would be, you know, getting my PhD. Well, in the middle of it all, when I've got a deadline and I am tired and I'm about ready to, I'm just going crazy because it's so difficult. 
I could have a mindset that only sees that narrow frame. I could only see the next hour or the next year or the next, I should say, the next week where I've got this deadline-driven project that's just driving me insane. Or I can choose to look at the bigger picture and say, okay, keep in mind, I see myself as having that PhD and having as a result of it the academic credentials that enable me to teach or do whatever. And if I could start to switch my perspective to the longer frame instead of the shorter frame, in that moment, I'll be able to break the power of resistance. And I think there's so much that can happen because we're able to manage our perceptions. I think there's also a lot of power, and these certain leaders are able to do this intuitively, but there's a lot of power in being able to help others develop the most creative perceptions as well. For example, I tell the story of, of Jeff Bezos, um, CEO of Amazon, and how he will bring his executives together and he'll leave an empty chair. He'll designate that chair and say, nobody sits there because that's the customer's chair. In other words, the customer is sitting here watching us discuss our business practices, our policies, and everything we do needs to be seen in light of a customer's presence. What is he doing there? He's managing perceptions. And as a result of managing perceptions, the motivations, the emotions, the decisions, the behaviors, all those are flowing automatically out of the perceptions as opposed to an approach that says, hey, be more kind. You know, uh, or we need to do things that are more humane. I mean, I think that there's ways that are more effective than others to lead ourselves and to lead others. And when we start getting perceptually intelligent, we can use those best ways. Do you think perceptual intelligence accelerates progress towards any goal? Absolutely. It goes back to Thoreau. You know, how much progress can we make when we are hacking the branches? It feels like we're not getting anything done. But when the, the route changes, everything can change in an instant. Lights go on that were, were never on before. People, and I've seen leaders actually change to be more humane and powerful at the same time in 45 minutes with a session with me over 10 years of trying to reform themselves and be more emotionally intelligent. So absolutely, striking the root makes a huge difference. Wow. Um, well, I, I think that makes a really nice place to, to you know, bring our conversation to a close. This has been really, really fascinating. So I have one final question uh, for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Something unmistakable. It's the thing that you can never escape from. It's the, it's the thing that you are that... You've tried to maybe try to be someone else or be like somebody else, but you just keep going back to that thing that you are. And I think, you know, a lot of what keeps people from being unmistakable and unique is this fear of being unique. I think it's, a, it's this tendency to conform, to think that because other people have these certain admirable qualities, I have to have those same qualities. But when people start to get a sense of freedom, they go back to like the way they thought when they were six years old or eight years old, way before all the, the problems in life happened, way before all the, the, the bad events turned into bad identity. If you could start peeling off those layers, just like you'd peel an onion and get down to the core of yourself and let that 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 sense of self, that good part of self, I think there's good and bad parts of self, but let that good, the good attributes of self just shine brightly and flow, flow freely. That's what makes people unmistakable. Hmm. 
Well, I think that makes a, a really lovely way to wrap up our conversation. Um, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, head off to Amazon.com. Automatic Influence is there. You can also go to EricVanAlstein.com and uh, see blogs and information. Also, I'm doing lead- leadership training seminars in companies as well. So it's all around that way. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? 
We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.